Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of MTG Rants. I was going to say, I keep uh, wanting to say the old name or whatever, but um, this is going to be a special episode. We're not going to have the normal structure of the episode. We're going to be trying to get through some of this backlog of overrated, underrated. So I don't know how long this episode's going to be, but we're just going to kind of we're gonna wing it, Ross. Yeah. And we're still going to be doing our normal episode. It's just going to come later in the week. We wanted to give some time for the, you know, the early access event and some other things to happen. And that way we'll be able to, you know, react to what people are doing with the new standard format once call time officially drops on Thursday. Yeah, I really like the idea of waiting for our next episode till either like the end of the week or maybe even to the weekend and seeing a little bit because I'm going to play the shit out of the new set on, th- I think, Thursday, I think is when it goes live on Arena. And I can't wait to be like, man, this card's way better than like we thought. And I can't wait to be like, I was wrong about this card. Or I'm sorry, Ross was wrong about this card. Hey, if you look at the record on versus live right now, so far, I have not been getting a lot wrong. Yeah, okay. I'll give you that. Whatever. I completely fixed Brennan's party deck and made a real party deck that actually worked and was good. Oh, that's that's surprise. The party deck actually wasn't very good. <laughs> I told y'all in the chat, I was like, this deck looks like crap, but sure. No, but my party deck is good. And I wouldn't have learned how to build the deck correctly without playing Brennan's deck. So through his trial and error, you got the correct thing to do? Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right, let's go ahead and just uh, get started. Well, yeah, Since we're going to be tangenting right a lot and stuff on here. Um, the first one from Massimo is White Bordered Cards. Um, overrated for sure. Mm-hmm. So the, the thing is, hold on, you, you go yours and then I'll go into the rant. Uh, I was going to say that if you ask me this in almost every year of my life, I would have said overrated, but I'm going to go with slightly underrated in some ways because a, there's the tiny bit of nostalgia because, uh, when I like first started playing is when white border was like the, one of the first things that came out. And you always like, got a bunch of revised cards. Yeah, I was got a bunch of revised cards and stuff. Yeah, revised was like the the pack to buy when I you know first started opening packs and stuff like um and stuff like that. But not only that, but uh, I remember I got to troll Twitch chat really hard once where I think you remember the uh, the open that I top aided with the mono blue aggro deck in Dallas. And, in Dallas, um, I was like waffling on what deck to play back and forth, and you and I were talking a lot. And like, I had firm convictions that Mono Blue was like, I thought it was the best deck versus like a perceived field. And then the other deck that I was considering is better one against, you know, field B. And I decided to play the Mono Blue deck. Um, I had somehow forgot to pack enough, or I think it was like, what, how many lands did the deck play? Like 22, 24, or something? 21, like I think. 21. I didn't own that many beta islands. And I didn't, ha- I didn't bring islands of another... Like, I didn't own 20-something of the same art of some islands. And thankfully, our manager, Rick, just had, you know, X amount of uh, a specific art of island. It's an art that I actually enjoy quite a bit. But he had, like, the 7th edition version of it, or whatever, so the, the, or whatever set it was. So they were just white-bordered. So I just had 21 white-bordered islands in my deck. And it was actually a delight the entire tournament to have it. And then I saw when I rewatched my feature matches that like Twitch chat was just the entire time like, what the fuck is up with this lands? Like, you know, <laughs> I was just kidding. They were just having like way too much fun commenting about my lands. I, I will agree that annoying Twitch chat is a significant benefit. Oh, yeah. So you, you get credit for that. I So the, the thing is that like, you know, Black Border has long been the standard. I think essentially since Chronicles, right? That set into motion the idea that Black Bordered was like what you wanted as a collector. It was the more expensive version. And so there became, you know, out of that, there was created the, the dichotomy between Black Bordered and White Bordered. 
But since, you know, they went with all black borders for core sets in the 2000s, you know, it's been over a decade since then, there really isn't any, um, like, that dichotomy has just sort of gone away. And now there's a significant portion of the community that, like, actually kind of likes white border cards, which is fine, whatever. I just, like, I objectively just don't think they look particularly good. They also, like, show wear a little bit more, like, once, like, unless... If you get a, a pristine white border card, it looks really nice because the white border really pops and is very, uh, you know, clean. But a little bit of wear really diminishes the aesthetic quality of white border to me. So because it's like bounced back a little bit, I'm still saying overrated. So, you know, like the saying or whatever, like you can't really like people are like, why do bad things happen in life? And it's like, it's so we can appreciate the good things because like otherwise yeah. you just wouldn't appreciate the good things. Well, good we doesn't have... exist without bad. Yeah, we have white border, so we can appreciate black border. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. uh, Massimo also says lightning bolt. I'm just going to go with underrated because it's one of the most efficient and best cards ever printed. And I think it hasn't been given enough love. Yeah, agreed. All right, it's, so, it's, it's be even better than you think it is. Yeah. Uh, Jushi J says judge promo prices. I don't know if you've seen the judge promo prices on some cards, I, but they're I, pretty... I assume they've skyrocketed. Uh, it... it I, I don't know when the date was, but it like I don't know if there's been like a meteoric rise recently. I've just I've seen judges like post stuff on Twitter like, hey, selling these judge foils for X. The prices on the cards are quite high. Um, I think it's a good thing because the judges don't get paid anymore, right? Or did they just change again? Like I know Watsy wasn't paying their judges for a while, right? I so the, I, I'm pretty sure that got resolved with them getting they had like paid. a lawsuit or something right yeah yeah and now they like actually get paid but ultimately like it ends up being worse for them i think was the, the end result I, whatever it was know this. I, I, I feel just know bad that, for not knowing this i do too and as we say i knew at one point most judges looked forward to their their little they'd get like a little manila envelope type thing yeah, like a little, a little small version of, of judge promos a judge promos that was like a big day because they're all worth like a ton of money you know you could go immediately turn them into a significant portion of cash um, so I'm going to say that it is neutral to decent, uh, so slightly underrated, I guess, just because the cards look cool. Like, I, have you seen, I, I think they have the one where, uh, what's the white Praetor? It's uh, Elishorn. Yeah, it's like in Phyrexian or whatever, you know, it's like okay, in the, yeah. yeah, it's in that cool language or I mean, that one looks like sweet as shit. So some of them are great. Um, the prices I wish were a little more affordable overall, and that's what's going to keep it from ever being like truly underrated because the prices are just too high to begin with. But let's reward our judges. Yeah, well, we should just pay judges a reasonable wage anyway. There's just like the only reason that we like the idea of judge promos being expensive is if like you can pay judges with them and like that gives them a good wage. But in reality, we should just have a completely different system where judges get paid real money and get paid a good wage via that and cards aren't expensive and people have access to them. It's literally the worst part of magic is like the whole financial side of things and yeah. artificial scarcity and just like, have you seen what's happening with Wheel of Fortune lately? What? Revised Wheel of Fortune is like $600 oh. right now. Jesus, you said Wheel no, of Fortune, I just thought of the game <laughs> show, and I was no, like, no, no, what no. the fuck are you talking about, Tanner? Fatal White Diamond, we need to protect her at all costs. You <laughs> <Yeah. don't> <laughs> I did see that the card Wheel of Fortune spiked in price, and it's now yeah, someone, someone did, did Someone did a buyout, so they're like, yeah, exactly. Like, that and I just obviously just got rid of my copies nonsense. of it in the last year, so. Yeah, I just hate um, all of that shit. I would love it if we could just have magic be very accessible to people, and yeah, everyone have access agreed. to cards very easily, but that will require fundamental changes to the way we structure society. Uh, I have some pretty strong opinions about the next one. Uh, Leo, the magic man, says, The Usual Suspects, the movie. Okay. 
So here's my usual suspect story. We watched this movie once when I was in college, okay? And I fell asleep before the end. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Do you know the ending of the movie and everything? Yes. Okay. But uh, I've so, got to so, say, if I fall asleep before the end of the movie, yeah. it's probably overrated. So okay. that's I'm gonna, where I have to go. I'm going to say both. And I know that like you hate when I do this, but like I, I, I agree with it. your... I agree with your sentiment. I agree with your statement. I think that I think the movie is slightly overrated for its entertainment value. People are like, "Oh, it's it's fucking amazing," you know, all this stuff or whatever. And I'm like, like it's it, it gets a little boring over parts. But there are parts of it that are severely underrated. This was um, one of the movies that had a very big twist in it, and this is before every movie started doing that. Before right? M Night Shyamalan, yeah, it was before Pre- M Night Shyamalan, Shyamalan made it like, <laughs> yeah, this is before it was just like you know, like half the time that I go into movies now, the way or TV shows, the way things are written. Like, you know, halfway through, it'll be halfway through the season. It'll be like episode, you know, eight of like a 20 episode season. You're like, all right, that's the bad guy. Like, it just, it just has to be the bad guy because it's going to twist into, oh, that, that was him. So there's a big, huge twist in the movie. I don't care if you have spoilers here. Like, it's a 25 year old movie. Like, yeah. Spoilers are, um, you're out the door. Also, if, if you don't um, know Darth Vader is Luke's father, I yeah. don't know what to tell you. Yeah. His name literally translates into Dark Father. But, uh, yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff like that. Um, also, it has, like, one of the funnier scenes I've ever seen in my life, because if you don't know the story of it, it's generally actually them laughing. So there's a scene at the beginning of the movie where they round up the usual suspects, right? And they put them in the, what's the name of that room? The, you know, the lineup, where they put them in front of a lineup, and you have yeah, to pick out the, one through five or they, whatever. That's just the lineup. Yeah, the lineup. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, they put, I, I, yeah, they put them in a lineup, and they make them read this card where he says, like, give me the money, cocksucker, or something like that. You know, like, some really offensive, like, statement or whatever, right? And they cannot keep a straight face, and they're all laughing through the whole thing or whatever. And I remember watching it and being like, this looks very genuine. Because, you know, it's, like, really hard in movies for people to make crying look genuine or make laughing look genuine, you know, blah, blah. And I was like, this looks re- like they're really actually having fun and laughing because it's real. So they were trying to do this, the scene, and the scene was meant to be done, like, somewhat seriously. But uh, I think it was Benicio Del Toro, one of the, one of the actors, couldn't stop farting. <laughs> and he just kept ripping it in the middle and they're in that room they're just like encased in the lineup room and so he just kept farting and staying in character so like they all just like you know we're all just you know very very we're all one fart joke away from just being a giggling 12 year old so it, that's what happened so i'm gonna go with slightly overrated uh massimo ask termogoyf um it's gotta be overrated now right like oh well i mean yeah, but when I think of Tarmogoyf, I'm not saying I'm not thinking of Tarmogoyf in the year 2020. You're thinking of like his existence. Yeah, and how I mean, it, it's an iconic card in the history mm-hmm. of Magic. Mm-hmm. It is, you know, a multi-format all-star. I owe it a lot of money. Um, yeah, it was, you know, the one of the. Um, it was really the the most expensive chase sprayer in the history of Standard. I yeah, I I don't remember many cards getting up to like three digits while it was still legal in like modern yeah. or extended slash standard. Like, you know, that wasn't a thing that happened. Like yeah. this is one of the first cards to really start to break through in the secondary market of newer stuff. Yeah. There's there so many unique elements of, of Tarmogoyf and it also, really taught, it was a cool spoiler as well. Like when it first came out, like we know we didn't know what tribal or planeswalkers yep. were. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's literally when we found out what planeswalkers like that planeswalkers were going to happen. Apparently, planeswalkers were supposed to be in future sight. By the way, I didn't okay. realize that until recently. But I didn't they know weren't that either. They weren't ready yet. They were like, we're not sure how how powerful these are, so they pushed them back. So like that would have been really cool in future sight as well. You get you get this new card type, but like, can you imagine having like a Jace Bellerin with the future sight card look? That would yeah. that would look sweet. 
anyway, and, continue. Sorry. And it, it really, you know, to me, the the modern era of magic is the post Planeswalker era. So agreed. Tra- 100% and so Tarmogoyf is really a big part of ushering that era in and showing you like that it, a creature that literally just attacks and blocks and is yeah. efficient stats for mana can be not just good or playable, but a format defining card. Um, I mean, it, it actually probably helped make it better is the fact that it was really good against Planeswalkers. Because, you know, it's like a 3-4 or 4-5 on turns 2 or 3, and it attacks Planeswalkers really well. Yeah. You know, instead of your that. typical 2-1s and 3-3s. Three so, uh, you know, to me, the, uh, when you evaluate Tarmogoyf and its impact in Magic and its, you know, historical standing in Magic, it rates out really, really highly. So I, I think it might actually be underrated. Yeah. Uh, I gotta say, so... I'm going to kind of like lump this one in with the next one because they're both very similar in the way that we're talking. And the next one was Permeating Masses, Snapcaster Mage. You know, two cards. These are two cards that for, I don't know, a decade kind of like were iconic, you know, some of the best creatures ever printed. If your deck played green or blue or both, you were playing these cards. And now they've kind of been set out to, to pasture. You know, they, they're, they're at the Field of Dreams now. They're, they're kind of retired. I mean, they'll, they'll come back at different points. They'll come points. back. Like, you know, they're yeah. not... No, cards don't die for, forever. Um, Snapcaster, I think, is probably overrated historically. I think people have put it in decks where it didn't belong. Um, <laughs> I'm very, very guilty of that. You've seen yeah. me ca- try to cast it multiple times in Legacy. Yeah. That, um, so to, to me, Snapcaster, even though like it doesn't quite have the same pedigree as Tarmogoyf, even though it was it was very, very good, obviously, in the context of Bloit, Delver, and Standard, and then... Uh, even in that later season, it was pretty good. There were the, those flash decks. Um, oh, it was busted as hell in standard. Like, yeah. Um, I don't know if it was if it was as defining as Tarmogoyf was in standard. No, um, pro- probably not. I mean, like we still had a lot of ways to like. I mean, I think I think they're both very good cards. How about yeah. that? Snapcaster was, I think, more defining in modern. I really think oh, yeah. of Snapcaster as like a defining modern card. That's about when the format was created. You know, Tarmogoyf is a bit, it was a big card in modern, but it, it has a pedigree before then. So that's where I really put Snapcaster. And I'm kind of yeah. upset that it's not good in modern right now, even though blue decks are good. God, I fucking hate Uro. Um, that card should not exist. Yeah, Uro is just a complete nonsense of a card. It's another card that needs to get ET'd. Just, just like Oko. Uro and Oko. I'm, I'm honestly fine with the rest of it. You, you can have your Teferis, your Narsets, your Field of the Deads. Just... Uro, Uro and Oko, just, just launch them all into the sun. They were supposed to be legal. Cathal uh, asked, life from the loam. I'm going to go with this one. I don't know how to properly rate this one, so I want you to answer it for me because I hate this card because all I've ever done is lose to it. Well, life from the loam is one of my favorite cards of all time. Yeah. So I, by default, will say underrated. I, I will say this, though. For as much as I like life from the loam, I hate life from the loam decks. So, you know, every, everything you actually associate Life from the Loam with, like lands, yeah, I hate the, those decks, the yeah. Cal deck in, in Extended back in the day. Uh, um, solid there was one that I was okay with. There was one that I was okay with, and that's when you pair it with, like, Seismic Assault. That's kind of cool. I just I just don't want to have a deck where my entire goal is to find Life from the Loam and dredge it every single turn. Yeah, that's boring to me. It's not magic to me. Yeah, but that's basically been the most successful Life from the Loam decks. I love Life from the Loam when it's like a role player. Mm-hmm. Like there was a Sultai control deck back in the day. Um, I feel like we've had this conversation yeah. on the show before. Before Deathrite Shaman and Abrupt Decay that played Liliana and Jace and Remember this. Yeah. Force of Will, and it just had two Life from the Loams in it. 
And it was so good with Liliana. It was sweet with Jace. Like, if you didn't have a shuffle effect, you would just, you know, dredge loam for your turn. Uh, you know, you wanted to make a million land drops. You have fetch lands to go with it. I love Life in the Loam in Dredge as an option. I love, the, like, the way it gave that deck uh, so many more angles and made it... Yeah, the, you know, the, with the conflagr- uh, yeah, conflag... Yeah, with Conflagrate and Bloodgast yeah. and now Forgotten Cave. And, you know, sometimes they just sideboard utility lands now. You have a Ghost Quarter, you know, cycle, you know uh, and, and stuff like that. I love all of that stuff. But, like, lands and Legacy, I'm out for that. But most people, you know, when you think of Life in the Loam, you only think of those Loam decks... And that's why that's another reason I'm going to go underrated because you don't appreciate it for its ability as a role player. It was also in in well, didn't uh, Samura play it in Dredgetog? I think so. I'm I'm pretty sure you're right. That does sound like yeah. that that hit the thing where I'm like, oh wait, yeah, that happened. Dredgetog was like, uh, you know, just seeing that deck was like a defining moment for me when I, I just like saw that and I'm like, Kenji Samura is just a fucking god. It was so good. All right. Uh, Serpent Wind says, parasocial relationships with content creatures. I assume that was a typo of creators that got yeah. corrected. Yeah. That's what I this was a I'll thing do. on Twitter like a few weeks ago. Um, yeah. The, uh, I mean, obviously they're bad. They're properly rated, though. Everyone understands they're bad. It's like the, this whole idea where, you know, the fans of content creators, like, they know a lot more about us than we know about them. So they become like attached to us in a in a way that we don't. That's like so it's it's one sided and it gets really weird. And that's where you got like if if a, somebody doesn't understand that and they act to me like like we're much friendlier than we are, it's because their understanding of the relationship is a lot different than mine yep. because of the imbalance. And uh, you know, it's just one of the hazards of being a you know a public figure, semi public figure. Yeah. Um. And uh, you know, I've been pretty fortunate. I don't. I haven't really dealt with much if any you know awkward interactions uh certainly not none that like made me super uncomfortable uh right um, I, i've had a, i've had a few maybe not like super uncomfortable but there's somewhere and it matters what mood i'm in right like if i'm in if i'm having like a bad day and like you have this interaction with someone you know let's just say a fan right like, we'll just call it that like whatever word you want to use you know you call it a, a, a fan or whatever my my biggest thing is this, and you, I'm sure you've probably heard people say this, and I mean you specifically, Ross, or people at home, you've probably heard people say, I don't owe you anything, right? Like, we don't have any kind of contract. Um, You know, like, it, it's different if, like, you're a sub in my Twitch channel. Yeah, I probably, there's there's some there's some understood social contract there, right? Like, I'm, I'm probably going to interact with you more in my chat, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, there's a, there's a caveat with everything, but, you know, the people who... Facebook friend me or follow me on Twitter and DM me and ask me for like deck advice, right? If I don't respond to you, right? Or I don't give you the amount of attention you think is correct, that doesn't make me wrong. You know, that doesn't make me a bad person. I don't owe you anything. Yeah. You know, you're you're free to ask. And, yes. you know, sometimes I'll give, sometimes I won't. Just sort of depends, you know, what mood, both what mood I'm in and like, you know, what kind of demands on my time there are. Sometimes if you're like asking me something that if to answer it, I would have to just show you like information I've written in an article that is behind a paywall. Like I'm not going to break that paywall for you for free. I'm just going to say the answer is in my article, then I'll link you to it. Right. Uh, And if you want to wait a week for it to come, you know, come out from behind the paywall, you're you're free to do so or you can pay the seven ninety nine. But 100 percent agree with you. Like I've brought that up multiple times or someone has said something along those lines like, why didn't they say this or why didn't they answer that? I'm like, you do realize they like. 
this is their job, right? Like they get paid to do this kind of content. What makes like, why do you get it for free? Like, why do you get preferential treatment? Like once you, once you can tell me that, and if you can give me a good enough answer, then I'll be on your side. Here's the, here's the spoiler. You probably don't have a good enough answer. Yeah. It's the same thing as you like, you know, bumping into someone or having a friend of a friend who's like a doctor and you just like yeah. asking them for free medical advice. hundred percent. Like, that is established to be like strange. You're, you're essentially doing the same thing here. So it's, it's really funny. I actually did that recently with Tark Patel, who's, who's, you know, the magic writer who is a doctor. It was a very simple question. I was like, Hey, this is going on. Should I go see a doctor? It was like that. Should I take the necessary? And he's like, nah, you're probably fine. You know, kind of thing. And like you, you know, you've been friendly with, with Tark before. So that's like, yeah. you know, you're not coming, coming in blind there. They're like there's always lines and extenuating circumstances. So I think mean, the only thing that, you know, we can tell people, you know, as fans is just try to be cognizant of it. Like, if you flirt with the line and step over a little bit, like I'm not going to jump down your throat about it, right? But like it's when you Unless get you like, deserve really, it. It's when you kind of double down. Like if, yes. if you ever see somebody start to push back against you, recognize that like you've either are p- bumping up against the line or you have crossed it and you need to pull back. That that's just that's just the you know where it is. Be cognizant of it and you know recognize when to to pull back. Yeah, 100 percent agree with Ross. Just remember they are human beings as well. So treat them like one, you know, show them some respect. That doesn't mean like, you know, you can't come up and ask for, you know, uh, an autograph of something. Oh, yeah, for sure. It does mean don't do it when I'm standing at the urinal. Yeah. Which is I will not say this. something that has happened, but, you know. I will say this. I, I try to go out of my way to be courteous and nice to every single person who tries to interact with me in magic ways like that, right? You know, you've, you've, seen, you've seen me interact with people. I think, I think you're great as well. I think you're an ambassador to the game. I want to leave the game in a better spot than when I got there. You know what I mean? Like, I want to help out people as much as I possibly can. I want to always be as nice as I possibly can. Does it always happen? No. You know, I've had bad days. You know, I've had bad tournaments. You know, like, let's say I put in a ton of time into a tournament and then, like, you know, you get really unlucky multiple times, you're out of a tournament and someone comes up and demands something of you right away. Like it takes a lot of effort as a human being to give them the same, the same, what's the word I'm looking for here? The same kind of amount of myself as I would on somebody on like a good day when I'm in a good mood. Yeah. Yeah. It takes, it takes more, just more energy. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and at some know, points I don't have it anymore. Yeah. And uh, you know, that's just a, or a situation that you as the, as the fan, you, you have to read. You know, to me, I, I'm like people will like apologize and ask me if like I, they came up at a good time. And I, I, there are very few times when I've, you know, completely turned someone away. The biggest bigger thing for me is just your your tone and, and the way, way way you approach it. If you come up and, and it asks like you're demanding something of me, it's a lot different than if you're asking something of me. Yeah, I, I mean, I've definitely had interactions where, you know, they've wanted to talk or chat, which, by the way, that's always fine. They've wanted to talk or chat, and I just haven't had the time, or I need to go use the restroom, or I need to do something in between the rounds, right? And so I'll sign whatever, I'll talk to them for a second, I'll be like, hey, look, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm in the middle of something, I gotta go do this, come find me after another round, tell me how you're doing, and then we can chat then. But, you know, I, I try to do it quickly so I can go do what I'm doing, but at the same time, respectfully, like, hey... I, I, I know you're a person. I'm sorry. Like, I can give you more later, you know, kind of thing. Uh, the next one from Cathal. This one's going to be very, very easy. I know both our answers. The It is garlic. It is massively underrated, as underrated as anything's ever can. Whenever I have a recipe, whatever it calls for garlic, I double or triple it. Yeah, so I assume that there are people who exist that don't think garlic is the greatest thing ever. And, and because it wrong. is, that means it must be underrated. Yeah, and if there's just, a yeah, single person wrong. who does not accept that fact, then it is underrated yeah also um fresh garlic 
mince it yourself if you have time make sure you smash it before you mince it kind of stuff and uh yeah just just do it like i don't i don't know what else we need to say because like there's you don't need to to harp on this more uh massimo again with spell uh, spells with can't be countered uh i'm gonna go overrated mostly just because i'm like i think we're trying too hard i'm not a big fan of that kind of stuff like when it invalidates entire um strategies in the game but the more i think about it there's there's some cards in formats and stuff like that where like I'm okay with some of it. Like Supreme Verdict is kind of a cool card to me. Like I think it's good. There's there needs to be some threats, like some big payoff threats that say can't be counter on it. Otherwise, this card can never see play, etc. I think those are fine. I don't like like Cavern of Souls. You know, I know that's not a spell with can't be counter on it, but that one's kind of like an honorary member of where we're going here. You know, with the, with this yeah. thought. So I'm going to go with slightly overrated. Um, I think they're generally overrated as magic cards, like that ability and the power level it. it um it lends to whatever card it's on. You know, I I think back to cards like Prowling Serpapard that got pretty hyped during their previous season and just weren't good. You know, Great Sable Stag, which was a sideboard card, but not a great one, um, and, and stuff like that. Ultimately, like, you beat counter spells with spells that can be countered, and you can do it by building your curve correctly and timing your spells optimally. So you don't actually, like, it. you don't actually need... The, the blunt force instrument. You don't need a hammer. You you beat you beat counter spells with a scalpel. You have to be precise and surgical in the way you do things. So it ends up being it ends up actually being kind of a clunky way of doing th- doing things anyway. Um, and your opponent usually like knows like unless all your spells can't be countered, if they know there's one spot in the curve or you have something they can't be countered, they build their curve in response to either have removal up that turn or that's the turn they take off to draw cards. You know things like that. So. That's the other thing is like, unless all your spells can't, like, can't be countered, which is why Cavern of Souls is a problem, that card is really, uh, you know, powerful, then the one spell that can't be countered usually isn't that big of a deal because it's never going to be attached to a card that just wins the game by itself. Mm-hmm. All right. The next one is from Catatonic Walrus. I'm, uh, yeah, Catatonic Walrus, the original Star Wars trilogy. Um, underrated. Yeah, obviously it's underrated. It's a, masterpiece of film work period like there's there's no way to argue against this i mean look what it has spawned you know um i mean you could talk about how the first two movies are actual like perfect works of fiction um empire strikes back i think is a actual and i don't like using this word too much but i do like using it in some instances it is a perfect work of film like empire strikes back as a film is like almost completely perfect it has one of the first and like biggest like giant twists in in movie history it's probably number two to psycho i was i I was about to get to that i was like it's probably either number one or the biggest one and i was about to say and before like psycho came before it right like the psycho that was 60 i was about to say like three i thought it was late 50s or whatever right so you know psycho came before it obviously that was probably one of the biggest mind blows anyone's ever had in their life the one frame strikes backs obviously is gigantic it's 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 shaped a large portion of my life you know these movies I, I love sci-fi. I love uh, pop culture. You know, I love Star Wars. I won't talk about the other six movies very much because I think they're all pretty bad in a lot of ways. But the TV shows have been great. Just the things that have spawned from it, the amount of enjoyment that I have gotten from this, it can never be overrated, in my opinion, because of that. I think it's just gotten trendy now to uphold some of the more recent ones, which are good too. But that has, you know, uh, and it, it, you know, it just had like these things just kind of happen. Um, and I think it's become trendy to, to like 
talk about how the original trilogy is overrated and not as good, and that just makes it underrated. And you know, the, the thing it'll just keep cycling back and forth forever. But we're in, we're it's just where which part of the cycle we're in. Most of the, most of the special effects were done in ping pong tables and miniatures, you know, and like cameras flying by the, the you know, oh, yeah. like them building the sets oh, and shit. The way like, that the way they did, you know, movies back in the day with, without the technology is incredible. Like, you know, especially, you know, even further back with like Buster Keaton movies and shit. Like, it's unbelievable the way they did things. These people are so fucking smart. Yeah. Uh, you know, say what you want about George Lucas and all this stuff. Obviously, this could never be underrated. Um, KFET says, Danny Brown, I do not... No I, I just googled it. I just googled him. He's at a the, the what came up for the first bunch of stuff is he's an American rapper, uh, you know, artist person. I do not know who this person is, so probably underrated. Next, no opinion. Yeah, uh, I don't want to say this name. Qualia, Qualia. Uh, they say playing around cards your opponent might have counter traffic, etc. I think that um, it depends on what level of play you're at. It's, so it's pretty important because I do think that the the skill is underrated, and I say the reason I say why is you need to know a what you're playing around and have good reason to, and b when you can play around it. Because there are times where you're like, yeah, I need to play around, you know, them having the wrath on turn five or whatever in standard or turn four and some other forms. But depending on the context of your hand, the way the game is playing, you might not be able to afford to do that because if you play around it. You're giving them an extra two or three turns to draw other stuff, and you're going to die anyway. Or, like, you don't have enough afterwards. Like, you just have to play into this kind of thing. So I think this is a very underrated skill because of many layers. Yeah, I com- that's, you know, 100% the same opinion here. Um, and it, it to me, it's similar to the discourse about instance. Like, when you, when you first, um, you know, are playing Magic, you end up playing instance too often on your own turn. You just kind of like throw your cards on the table and then you get taught like, oh, you know, no, you should like save that, do things on your opponent's end step. And then you get into that habit too much. And then you're not recognizing the corner, like the the scenarios that come up when you shouldn't be, you know, playing everything on your opponent's turn. And so ultimately it just comes down to being able to see all the variables and making a fully informed decision. And Tannen was exactly right. You know, uh, when it comes to playing around cards your opponents might have, it's a cost benefit analysis. What do you gain by playing around it? And what is it going to cost you? You know, if I don't play another creature, okay, I have that extra creature if my opponent has the sweeper next turn. Is that extra creature going to be enough to close the game out? Uh, you know, and if I play the creature, like, how does it, that affecting my clock? Does it make me better against certain blockers? Does it make me better against spot removal spells? Uh, you know, you got to be able to think about as much of those variables as you can, make the most informed decision that you can, and recognize that some amount of the time it's going to be right to play the creature, and you have to be okay with it even if they have the sweeper, and some amount of the time it's going to be correct to hold it back, and you have to realize that, you know, you have to be okay if they don't have it, and you cost yourself something. So it's just all about doing a cost-benefit analysis. Mm-hmm. All right, the next one, this is probably going to... Let's try to not take too long on this next one, Ross, and then I'm probably going to ask you to check me when I uh, when I talk about this one, because I'll ask the educational system. Of the United States? I assume so. I assume it's just the one that, you know, since most of our listeners are in the United States and we're both based in the United States. It, so. it is effectively systematized brainwashing, so very overrated. Yeah, I, I also agree overrated. Here's the thing. I think that it comes with a caveat that I think it's overrated for most people. I do think it's slightly underrated depending on social status because it is kind of like a barrier for poor people. You know, like you cannot afford an education. Like, you know, I'm thinking of like 
furthering education like college and stuff it's a barrier that was put up by people to keep poor people poor and uneducated and not to get out of their social status well and to, and the initial point of widespread public education which is a fairly recent phenomenon starting in the 19th century was a reaction to the changing world post industrialization so now what they need is a workforce that all has the same general basic knowledge so they can do the menial tasks required in the emerging industrial dungeons. Uh, and so it became beneficial to the ruling class to create a system where every single person has that base level of competence, uh, where that wasn't really necessary before, when generally, like, if you were wealthy, you would get educated privately and or you could uh, get into a trade by apprenticing yourself to some master in that trade. And you'd have very specialized knowledge and you'd be able to, you know, uh, carry out your trade. Now it was it was unnecessary for people to have that specialized knowledge so that they could carry the process from beginning to end. All they needed to do was be able to do their individual part along the chain. Uh, but that required certain baseline knowledge for everyone so that you could, you know, uh, interchange people and move them in and out in different parts of the process and everything would, you know, remain smooth. Um, now, but it's an entirely different thing when you talk about the public education system as it exists in the United States versus the concept of public education in general, which is incredibly underrated. And especially, I think, uh, having a, a broad base of knowledge. I think that's you know, you know, it was important for the industrial world for different reasons. It's now important for our world because, you know, we have um, the problems that we're facing are so complicated that they require an interdisciplinary approach. And so it behooves us to develop an education system that gives people the interdisciplinary knowledge needed to take that approach and solve these incredibly complex problems that we're facing. Yeah, I just always have a hard time trying to articulate exactly how I feel about this because I was, you know, raised in privilege. I am a white middle-class male in the United States of America. And like I had education thrown into my lap very easily. You know, I, I got through grade school, high school and college, none of which was public. I went to private school my whole life. So it was paid for and it was paid for by somebody else. You know, I never, I never paid for any of it. I never had to work hard for it. I got to, and like, it's the joke. I always say I'm a, you know, middle-class white guy in America. I get to underachieve my way up through, through, through this area because that's just the way it is. So I try to, yeah, I try to check my privilege when it comes to this and try to be whatever, but you know, uh, I, I can't, I can't speak on certain parts of this that I would like to as well because of who I'm married to and you know what she does and stuff too and stuff. So like there, there are certain parts of it that I have to kind of check myself on and stuff. And that's the difference between talking about public education in general and public mm -hmm. education as the system exists in the United States. Public education in general is excellent and it is an important leveling force, you know. Uh, 100% agree. But the way it is executed now is in the service of a system that doesn't want that leveling force. It's in service of very nefarious ends. 100% agree. And like the last piece that I could say on that to kind of like show you where my thought process goes without, you know, going down that rabbit hole. Uh, you know, Natalie and I, when we talk about having kids or their education, we've like pretty much we're like they're going to private school unless it's like some kind of magnet type thing, you know, like yeah. your kid's a fucking genius and eats exactly this, you know what I mean, type thing, obviously. Um, all right, uh, Kojiman Tallier says, uh, Conan O'Brien. Um, Conan O'Brien. I don't know, like, how high... I don't have a good sense of how well-rated he is. I think for a while, you may have been able to say, like, slightly overrated when he made his move from whatever it was, like NBC or whatever, to TNT or whatever. Which, by the way, I think is he's ending his show soon. 
Is he? I think he's actually, yeah, I think he's going to do other stuff. But I've got to say, honestly, I think it's almost impossible for him to be overrated because of how long his career is, how dedicated his fans are, and just in general, the amount of um, entertainment he's provided for so many people over so many years. You have to at least admire the hustle and dedication it's taken for him to do his like 30 year career or whatever, you know, cause he started, you know, one of his big breaks was writing for SNL. I think the late eighties, early nineties or something like and that. And he wrote then for the he, Simpsons for a year. Yeah. He wrote for the Simpsons and stuff, which by the way, the, the next question is the Simpsons questions. You're going to have fun with this. So yeah. Uh, and then he, you know, he got the job doing the, the late night show on NBC taking over for Letterman when Letterman moved, uh, when Letterman left NBC, because he didn't get the Tonight Show gig and they gave it to Leno. Yeah, back when they kept doing the whole, like, we'll we'll promise you this, and then they didn't get their promise, so they went somewhere else. Like, this happened to almost everyone. No, literally just happened surrounding Jay Leno, both times. When when he got the job and then when he was leaving the job, it happened both times because Jay Leno's a fucking dickbag. Yeah, that's what I was trying to get at, but yeah. (laughs) But, you know, when he started, he had literally no experience, you know, being on that side of the television uh, as opposed to just being in the writer's room. Um, So, yeah, you know. Good on him for, uh, I think he started in 95, so he's been doing it for over 25 years. Uh, he's now the longest tenured, you know, late night host because Leno and, and Letterman are both gone. Uh, I don't think anybody would, you know, put him in that in on the Letterman tier. Um, you know, but cool. I, I always liked um, uh, his sidekick, Andy Richter. I think Andy's hilarious. Andy's very underrated because he's so quiet or whatever, and he's like unassuming and Everything he does, like when he interjects on something, it's always just spot on and hilarious. Like, there's a reason why he's 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 been there the entire time. Yeah, he's also a legend for completely obliterating Wolf Blitzer on Celebrity Jeopardy. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Andy Richter set the record for most money won, and Wolf ended up in negative money, like negative four digits. It was not close. And you know, he's a CNN you know guy, Mm -hmm. and Andy Richter just like makes fart jokes on late night TV, and he just fucked him up. It was awesome yeah i love when the unassuming stuff happens like same person asks marge versus the monorail the simpsons season four episode 12 this aired in 1993 i believe uh very importantly as the follow-up to conan o'brien this was a conan o'brien pitched and written episode this was his baby and his lasting uh mark on the simpsons is this This episode is a very famous episode i'm assuming yes it's one of the most well-regarded in the history of the show do you not know that like do you not know the episode uh, let's put it this way. If I saw it, I saw it in the nineties. Okay. So this it's, is, it's a I parody of, it's a parody of the music man. Okay. And, uh, the, uh, a man, uh, Lyle Landley is the character's name comes to Springfield and tries to sell them a monorail and it, it's all, you know, a flim flam and eventually it goes haywire. Um, it all, this, uh, episode actually contains what is Matt Groening's self-professed, uh, favorite line in the history of the show. Which was what? Uh, so over the course of the, um, the, there, there's two two main plot lines. One is Lisa doing the digging and figuring out that this the thing's a scam, and two is Homer becoming the monorail conductor for the town of Springfield. Yeah, because he got to wear a cape, right? Uh, something like that. I, I honestly don't remember. And uh, when uh, so they go for the maiden voyage on the monorail, and this is obviously like time. So Lisa's figuring it out like right at the end. And she has to rush back to Springfield to stop them, but they've already stopped. The thing is going haywire, and it like and he's like, "Don't worry, there's a fire extinguisher." It opens the door to the fire extinguisher, or somebody else does. They open the door to the fire extinguisher, and there's just a family of possums living in it. And they look to Homer, and Homer goes, "I call the big one Bitey." <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> called the big one. I called the big one bitey. <laughs> I gotta remember this now. Like that that triggered that little thing in the back of my mind. Yeah, you know, one of the most um one of the most iconic musical numbers in the history of the show. The the monorail song that that's also I remember this band. now. It's yeah. it's a really really good episode. I'm not sure if I have it as high as some of the other fans, but it is it is really really good. It's hard for it to be overrated. I I, I knew immediately that it was pretty big when I googled it. There was just so much stuff on this one episode. Yeah, so that like March versus the monorail, incredibly iconic. Who shot Mr. Burns? Obviously, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Um, that one had a lot of marketing behind it too. Like yeah, a lot there was of a whole, I think it whole came, thing over the summer. I think it was also around. I think the Super Bowl had a, a thing involved. No, no, and the, stuff the, too. it was it was a summer thing because it was the the end of right. one season, the start of the other were the two episodes. And over that summer, you could send in who you thought shot Mr. Burns, and right, everybody okay. who was right got entered into a, a drawing for something. That was the whole promotion they did. Um, but who shot Mr. Burns? There's also a, a season four episode called Last Exit to Springfield. Uh, that is about a, a strike at the plant. That one um, gets a lot of press now because uh, like 20 years ago, Entertainment Weekly did a whole big thing on The Simpsons and wrote their top 25 episodes of all time. And that one is, uh, is was number one. So now that one often gets brought up. There's uh, Cape Fear is the most famous Sideshow Bob episode and, and best regarded. Rosebud, the parody of, of right. Citizen Kane with, with Mr. Burns in the, the titular role. Um, but like Marge versus the monorail is on the short list uh, of episodes anyone will, will bring up to you. So, uh, you know, properly rated, I would say. Yeah. It, last thing, it, it, you kind of brought it up a little bit. I always find that most of most TV shows. So almost every TV show that comes on like normal television is formulaic in some way, right? Like they follow a general formula for every episode. The ones that deter from that or deter from the main characters in some way that have some differentiating thing are generally going to be very well regarded as long as the, the episode is good because the dif- the difference of it also sets it apart. All right. Um, KFET for the next one, Ask Jeweled Lotus. This was done um, in December, early December's question. So, you know, it was a little more fire back then or whatever. Um, this is the, I, the EDH card. Yeah, I was gonna, I'm going to say I think it's underrated. There's a lot of people when it first got previewed that were like, oh, this card's not as good as everybody else thinks it is. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. You can say this card's not that good when you don't have your general, which is never because <laughs> yeah. it's commander. You always have your general. I think the card is busted, but like whatever. It's really good. It was it, it was, a, it was initially quickly. overrated. I don't really have a sense. Like the, the whole discourse on it died so long ago. I don't know, have a sense of where it landed. It was definitely initially overrated, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's underrated now. I will say this, I haven't played with or against it yet. So I haven't played Commander, obviously, in a long time because I don't play Magic in person right now. So, And I, do, I don't like playing Commander uh, online. All right. Gold says, extended the format. Uh, I'm going to go with overrated. That format was not great. I was not a big fan of it. It was it was a eternal format, quote-unquote, that rotated. So it was like modern if like sets rotated and out of it. Also, my win percentage in Extended was very bad overall. So. I loved Extended through the years. Up until Thopter Depths. That's what ruined Extended. See, I only played it towards the last few years. So that's probably why I didn't yeah, like it, it was, very much. It, as soon as once Thopter Depths hit, it was never, and it was never good again. I'm thinking, I, I, did, I never played Extended way back when Dual Lands were legal in it. And it, See, it, I didn't play then either. Um, I'm sure it was probably good at some points. I, I've, I've played Extended when, right as, a, as Tinker got banned, is right about when I started uh, getting into Extended. Um, there was like Mana Severance uh, Char Belcher decks. Like Mana Severance all your lands play and mm-hmm. Tinker out Belcher uh, and, and other ways to abuse Tinker. I And I played a little bit then, 
But I remember like the years in between when like Goblins was good and there were like aggro rock decks. Like so many decks were going like turn one birds, turn two troll ascetic, turn three GTA equip. And, you know, had Cabal Therapy to disrupt the, the broken combo decks. There were like different storm decks at different times. I remember Pro Tour Berlin when Elves, you know, broke onto the scene. Uh, there were a lot of really, really good, really fun extended formats. Uh, it, it was honestly, it was the modern of its day. Like, you know, they were, they tended to be very diverse formats. There was some combo where there was really, really wasn't in standard outside of like Dragonstorm. Um, and, you know, you could basically play anything you wanted as long as your deck was well built and you understood the matchups. Uh, you know, it was, it was tighter than modern was by a bit, but it had a lot of those dynamics. And I have a lot of nostalgia for all those cards. So, uh, underrated. It was unfortunate the way it ended, but uh, replacing it with modern was ultimately good. I, that's probably my overalling thing. It was replaced with something, so it probably has to be slightly overrated. You know, well, kind of I mean, thing, and so. it was replaced once it no longer served its purpose. It was, it was good for what it was in in the, in its time. So mm-hmm. that's the way I'm going to evaluate it. Yeah, gotcha. All right, next one is from Massimo again. Mono red slash Rakdos goblins and historic. I'm gonna go with uh, slightly overrated. I think Goblins is really overrated. I just don't think that this deck- was also asked, you know, months ago. So yeah, like- I mean, I've I've thought that deck was overrated for quite a while. Like it's it's not it's literally just a Muxus deck. Like Muxus is a really powerful card. This is the deck built around Muxus. But if you know the like what's going on and you try to beat them, it's it's not that hard to beat them. I don't think that their backup plan is not very good, and that's the the problem with it. And if you're a linear deck, you do need to you either need to be like unbelievably awesome, like Hogak. Or you need to have a good backup plan. And I don't think uh, Goblins and Historic meets either of those criteria. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. The next one is from Joe. Uh, he says Pack Rat. Incredibly overrated. One of the most overrated cards in the history of Magic. Damn. That's some, some strong opinions there. Uh, overrated in Constructed, underrated in Limited. I mean, it can't be. It's, it's thought of as one of the best Limited cards of all time. And I don't think it's on the level. It's not on the level of GTA. I mean, it, it, it's definitely up there in limited. It's it's probably top ten, but I think a lot of people even have it like top five, and I would have it more like top ten limited cards of all time. Um, gotcha, gotcha. I, and yeah, it, it was incredibly overrated and constructed. I, I there was a very telling sign when you were playing I, uh, mono blue against mono black, and I played it, you know, a ton of mono blue in that that standard. And you didn't care when they played that card, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, no, I'm saying from the uh, from the mono black side. The really good mono black players didn't just go turn two pack rat. Let's go. Yeah. They would k- use their removal early instead, and then pack rat you on five. I gotta say, uh, overrated for the mass of population. It's maybe it's even slightly underrated when you played against someone who really knew what they were doing in their matchups with the cards. Because like they're really good players. I cannot, I cannot tell you how much joy I garnered every time I beat a turn two pack rat, especially if they were on the play. And I did it often with Mono Blue. Like, if you curved out as Mono Blue, you beat Pack Rat basically every time. I remember I beat one where they had turn one Thoughtseize, turn two Pack Rat with a Mutavault, a second Mutavault on turn four, and a removal spell on turn five. Like, literally the perfect Pack Rat on the play, and I still won. I, I just love beating that card so much. I beat it in limited once, too. And it was literally match nine in a team draft against Adam Snook. I had turn two... The centaur, like green white, make a three three token. Yeah, and I had like a busted, like awesome Selesnya deck in triple RTR, and I just curved out and literally outpaced Packrat and Limited. Um, I think I was on the play, so like I don't think I would have won on the draw, but it was good. Mm-hmm. All right, Kfet asks, watching old Jeopardy episodes to see how many you get right. So that that depends. It, like 
you really you gotta like wait a few years to rewatch old Jeopardy episodes because otherwise it's kind of cheating. There's definitely episodes where like the final Jeopardy clue will come up and I'll, I'll be like, I think I've seen this before. I couldn't tell you when, but I think I've seen this before. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, but you know, I, I think you know, as long as you don't explicitly remember the questions, rewatching Jeopardy is just is pretty fun. I actually did it recently. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so the next question is for an American uh, TV show series called Numbers. Yeah, I did not watch the show. I remember trying to and not getting like super into it, though I did really like one of the actors in the show. So I'm going to go with overrated. Uh, so I've watched quite a bit of this show, obviously. So that's surprising to me. Yeah, when CBS advertised a show about math, uh, I was in. Um, I'm in. David Crumholtz in the title role as uh, Charlie Epps. Who uh, is a you know math prodigy, and his brother works is a you know works at the FBI, and he starts. That's the actor I like, by the way. Uh, David Crumholtz. He uh, he's always like a bit person in other comedies. Like he was in Harold and Kumar. He was in Freaks and Geeks actually, uh, for an episode. He was great in Ten Things I Hate About You, a very underrated movie. Yep, oh, great movie. Um, yeah, but he's he's. He's very good in his role, and um, I'm, I'm Judd Hirsch. It plays their dad, uh, who's a retired city planner. Uh, he is really good in that show, Judd Hirsch. Uh, so I'm gonna go with underrated. Okay. Uh, KFET says Hearthstone. We'll let uh, you answer first. <laughs> o- overrated. I find Hearthstone just. I'm gonna go ahead and say underrated because um, I, I think it spawned a lot of good things to come out of it. You know, kind of like really accelerated the whole like digital card game push and though it's not a competitor it did make magic do a lot of things quicker and stuff that were probably better for magic that it should have done a long time ago also that, that, that is me, a good point it, it should it should get some points for being the originator and it definitely yeah. did you know lead to other innovations um i do think the game for the first few years at least was severely underrated that the game was amazing i thought it was great uh everything about it was kind of perfect well, you know, you can say whatever you want about like, oh, this meta wasn't good or these cards were bad for the game, like whatever. I think overall, it was a pretty perfect product, a pretty perfect product. A lot of alliteration right there and I had to get through it. Um, also, you know, it was my job for a while, so I can't really hate on Hearthstone. I loved it the time that I did it, you know, it moved me all over the, the country. I got to do like really cool tournaments from all over the world and stuff like that. So it was a lot of fun to kind of have that in. I owe, I owe a lot of you know, my friends and my professional chops to Hearthstone, so I can't really say anything bad about it. So, underrated. Uh, Massimo says, iced coffee. Overrated. I'm going to say underrated. It is my preferred way to drink coffee. So Yeah, and it's like a lot of people's preferred way to drink coffee now, even in the winter, and it's really fucking weird. And it's just, uh, I mean, I don't, I'm not a coffee drinker either way, but I cannot imagine iced coffee being better than hot coffee. I like it better, but it's just a personal preference thing. Uh, they also ask Diet Coke. Um, I don't like cola in general. Um, and also diet soda is also just terrible. So overrated. Guess my answer. Yours is I don't care. I haven't had a soda in two decades. That's very true. But I, I do remember drinking Diet Coke versus Coke because I was a Coke guy. Like I would drink Coca-Cola a lot. And I remember drinking Diet Coke because, you know, my girlfriend at the time had some or whatever. But I remember it being fucking awful. I remember it just being the worst thing ever. Also, I remember, like, someone saying something about it being rat poison. Like, they literally used it to kill rats at some point or some shit. So, I don't know. But 
obviously massively overrated. If you want to lose weight and you want to change your soda drinking habits from Coca-Cola to Diet Coke, it's a good step. Look, I'm, I'm proud of you for trying to lose weight and try to make positive moves in your life, whatever. Just stop drinking soda. It's so bad for you on so many levels and in other parts of your body, dude, it's so bad for your teeth, like a bunch of stuff, like the making of it, the cans and stuff are bad for the environment. Like, you know, there's a bunch of plastic and stuff involved. Like let's, let's just go ahead and kill the soda industry or whatever, but it's bad for our kids. Uh, the next question was diet soda in general. And we kind of, we kind of covered that as well. I think all of it is severely overrated, but remember I'm seeing this from my tinted glasses and I haven't had a soda in like almost 20 years. So, um, I just in case this is the first time you're hearing every now and then, like once every like five or seven years, whatever, I'll just take a sip of Coke or something. You know, I'll take like a sip of something. All I taste is the syrup. Now it tastes so thick and like, sir, I, I guess the only way to say it's syrupy to me now. It's so weird. And I, and I can, I can literally feel the bubbles. You know what I mean? The carbonation. Like I, it's almost like I can feel the bubbles in it because I don't drink anything carbonated. So like when I drink something carbonated now, and I'll tell you this, if I drink any of it, I'm burping like crazy for the next, you know, few hours I, or whatever. Ne- next time you're in Roanoke, I want to bring you to, um, to Pops. Okay. Is it like a soda pop place? Yes. Literally like 1950s soda fountain. Their ice cream is incredible. They have really good, uh, grilled cheese sandwiches. So I love that you want to bring me to a place that is going to have soda, which I don't drink, and oh, yeah. dairy and, products and that I'm lactose. lactose intolerant. <laughs> yeah, I love yeah, it. Okay. All right, I'm so in. They, they have, we'll get you some popcorn, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I can I can have cheese. Like, I'll figure it out. Yeah. Well, uh, they have good, they have good soups. We'll get, we'll get you some soup. Um, hopefully not a bisque, but, uh, you know, uh, they, like, they're, they do, like, all the, you know, you can get floats and Rickies and, and, you know, malts and, and literally everything. It, it's What's literally- a Ricky? Uh, it is a, a citrus juice and like they, they're all just different ways of combining okay. things. There's, I've never heard of that. So. Yeah, there's phosphates. There's, you know, all just different types of soda adjacent beverages. Okay. Um, but it's all, you know, ha- you know, in-house made syrups and right, right. real ingredients instead of, you know, mm-hmm. whatever the fuck Coke is made out of these days. It, it's funny that you mentioned this because I know you can't, you can't actually see the list. The next thing on the list is popcorn from us. <laughs> you just mentioned it. I'm going to go with overrated overall, though I do think uh, it's slightly underrated to me in some parts because I don't eat it very often. It's actually not a horrible snack. Like, it's yeah, actually it's like pretty low calorie. Yeah, it's like low calorie. It's like pretty decent for you. I mean, like, I like putting, you know, flavored seasoning on it. You know, like uh, Natalie likes this like jalapeno seasoning. I like this. Um, I think it's, it's like urban garlic or something kind of thing. And like, you know, you put it on there. Obviously, that yeah, adds some I'll stuff do, to it. I'll like, use curry powder a lot. Yeah, just you know, whatever it is. I like. I do say this. Um, obviously not with the movie theaters, but there's something nice and cathartic about sitting down in a dark room to watch a movie with a big bowl of popcorn. It's yeah. like, you know, what I mean, it brings you back to being a kid. I'm. You've, you've seen me watch things before somewhat. You've never, I don't think we've ever been to a movie together, but I get enthralled. When I'm reading a book, I read it hundreds of pages at a time. When I'm watching a movie, I watch it all in one sitting. When I watch TV shows, I watch like six episodes at a time. You know, I like lose sleep over it. Like I was up till 6 a.m. this morning because I started watching a new television show and I just could not stop watching it. It's not that it was amazing. It's just like, I was like, it's something new. My brain needed the good chemicals. You know what I mean? Yeah. Kind of thing. And so... I'm going to go slightly underrated, especially if you, uh, I, I don't know if you've ever done this, but have you ever had popcorn with like a little bit of chocolate at the same time? I, uh, yeah, like I, I can do the like sweet it. and salty some. Actually, I do like kettle corn. No, I like it with like, if you take popcorn and you have like M&Ms with it or like, sure. 
you know, chocolate covered almonds, and like at the same time, yeah, there's the, something about that the, taste and that mixture. Sweet, sweet and salty is definitely a, yeah, a big. Yeah, I like all of it together. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think popcorn is pretty significantly underrated. It's just yeah. a, a really good snack in many different ways. Also, it's a pretty cool snack that like it keeps her a decent amount of time, so you can kind of like you bring it with you somewhere. Like, if, you know what I mean? Like, or or it's very easy to have it stored in your house. You know, we bought popcorn a bunch of it like. Two years ago, we could still like go pop it right now and watch a movie with it yeah. if I need to, you know, kind of thing. So it's just corn kernels. It doesn't take up a lot. Yeah, it doesn't take up a lot of space. All right, Joe says shaking hands massively overrated, especially in today's age. Yeah, I don't I, think we'll ever do it again. Yeah, like, I've I've been a handshaker for basically my adult life, and that's definitely yeah. just changing. Uh, yeah, like it's funny. Um, before before the pandemic, I remember um, I had an interaction. With, I won't I won't name their name just in case like they don't want to be that. But I had an interaction with like another person that's like an SCG personality kind of person. I don't mean like literally worked for SCG. I'm not gonna you know narrow it down that much. But uh, they were you know they'd be at the opens and stuff like that. And like the third or fourth time or fifth time, like it's you know it's some open or something once. Because you, you know me, I like I'm uh, very jovial when I come up to you. I hug people, I shake their hands, I fist bump them, like whatever. Like I've literally been called the walking fist bump emoji from Todd Anderson on 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 stream once. But someone once told me that they were like, "Hey man, like why do you always touch me when you walk up?" They're like, "I'm not super okay with that." And I was like, "Hey, I'm like really sorry. I didn't know." But that w- and like this is not me making an excuse because like it, you should honor how other people feel. But that's my generation. You know, coming up in the, like the late '80s, early '90s, we all high fived each other. You know, you walked up and you like physically touched each other. Like when I played sports, it was still the whole like, even though I didn't really do it, the whole like you'd slap each other on the butt thing. You know, like that, like you know that kind of bro moment. I guess is what people would call it nowadays. Latent homoeroticism. We got it. Yeah, yeah. So like it was just covered with that growing up. So like that was a thing growing up was like you know, doing the doing the handshakes and stuff and blah blah blah. Because this kind of rolls into the next one. Because all said hugs, hugs are massively underrated i would do anything to be able to hug my friends right now yeah hug, hugs are great Ca- caveat consensual hugs mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yeah no uh like the there's a lot of um i don't know where i'm really going with this but like it's just very obvious that like we don't need to be compulsively handshaking all the time so just don't do it yeah i mean i've i've been in the business world too i've been in the business world too and it's like just an understood thing you are going to do this like when you walk into the room you're supposed to like offer your hand like blah 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 and i'm just like this is and very updated type thing, but like whatever. I understand yeah. why people do it. We, we should just all adopt the the Japanese custom and just bow. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to make any contact. It shows respect. They got mm-hmm. they got it right. We did we did not get it right. Yeah, I do like the American version of that where I make eye contact and listen to what you're saying and then try to respond to you. You know what oh, I mean? Instead of I, like, I thought yeah. you were going to say the American version was looking somebody and just kind of nodding your head upward. Like, hey, yeah, that too. The yeah, what's up, bro? You know that big? What's up, bro? Yeah, all right. Uh, next one is from Zeth Four Lost. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go first. I think overall massively overrated. Though the beginning of it, uh, I I never. To be fair, I never finished the show. I got through like three or four seasons or whatever. I will say this: the first season is probably underrated because I thought it was just a, an amazing work of television. And then the rails kind of started like coming off, and they kept trying to outdo themselves and make it crazier and crazier. And then I think the ending kind of ruined it for a lot of people. Yeah, I, I watched season one of Lost, and then I saw that it was going in a very different direction than what I thought it was going to go in, and I was like, this is not what I signed up for, and I hopped off the train. I'm pretty glad I did. I just wanted to watch a show of people trying to survive on a fucking island and having, like, you know, 
the interpersonal dynamics they are in and the different personalities clashing alongside with like, you know, there's going to be some intersection with backstories at some point when it started like, you know, going in the supernatural direction. That's when I noped out. That's just not what I, you know, not what I was looking for. Also, I didn't like that they, did, they left too many storylines open on the show. Like yeah. they, something would happen and you just, I'd be like, oh, what, like what happened? And they just never explain it. <laughs> like, come on. Yeah, that drives the fucking, drives me up a goddamn wall. All right. So KFET says uh, Bitcoin. I'm going to go with uh, like slightly overrated. But the thing is, I don't understand it enough. And I know that it's bad for our environment. So Yeah, just the whole idea of cryptocurrency is attacking a problem I acknowledge exists in the wrong way. Like, you know, there, uh, it's supposed to like, like create more like individual freedom where you can engage in commerce without being traced. When in reality, like we should just stop having oppressive systems of government where that we feel the need to circumvent. So it's just like a, a really strange way of going about the problem that doesn't make any sense to me, uh, and I think it's you know pretty clear to me that I'm on the right side of things based on who is in Bitcoin's corner. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, Gold says Five Guys. This is a fast food restaurant uh, series in America. Um, I'm assuming it might be in other countries, but I don't. I don't it know is. That. It is overrated because there are people that think Five Guys is better than In and Out, and that cannot possibly be true. I knew you'd bring this up, but yeah, good. Yeah, Five Guys is pretty good, but it is a grease bomb. I was gonna say I'm gonna go with overrated, but I haven't had it in probably uh, I don't know ten years. But I remember the couple, like when it first came to Baton Rouge. We get uh, a lot of uh, franchises last here, or like we're some of the last areas to get some of the things. So I'm gonna go with overrated because I didn't like it when I had it. it we either we either first or last. You know what I mean? Like we're the Ricky Bobby of of uh, franchises here because like Canes originated from here. That's like all over the like literally. I remember going when there was one Canes, one Raising Canes. It was in. Is in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, on LSU's campus, in a little like pizza crab hole in the wall. It's still there. You still can't go there on the weekends because it like the parking and everything is horrible and stuff. But whatever. I have one more point about about Five Guys before we move on, and it's like, come the fuck on with your whole fry thing. Like, just yeah. let me pay a reasonable amount of money for a reasonable amount yeah. of fries instead of yeah. paying way too much money for way too many fucking fries. Like, yeah, you cut up a potato, dude. I don't need to give you this much money for it. Like, come, come the fuck on. I think they've they've pared that back. I, mean, I haven't been to a Five Guys in years either. Um, and so may, maybe they've come back a little on that. But I remember when like we would go with four people and get a large fry and just split it between four people, and we would just you know high roll before we went in. Like, who who has to fucking buy the fries? Because it's like literally and honestly, like that was probably too many fries to split among four people. One one large order of them. This is ridiculous. Come the fuck out yeah. now. Massimo says Burger King. I'm gonna go with slightly uh, underrated because I do think that they have some of the best patties when it comes to fast food burgers. Like it's the most ones that like actually looks and feels and tastes like beef to me. Plus they have they were like one of the first ones to really have the first like vegetarian burger option, the Impossible Whopper. And I actually went out of my way to have one to try it, and it was not bad. So Burger King has had veggie patties for years, by the way. They just don't advertise it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, well, uh, I didn't I, know, but I'm saying okay. They are to me, Burger King is pretty close to inedible, but I'm. In, I think they're all pretty close to inedible, Ross. <laughs> uh, 
I have, M- McDonald's is pretty tasty. I'm not gonna. I'm, I haven't had McDonald's in forever. That one's the like the most cardboardy to me. It just tastes like literal fucking cardboard half the time. No, but I, by the by the end of my meat eating days, I definitely had Burger King firmly at the bottom. But I do give them some credit for rolling out the Impossible Burger. I do. I do love that. One of my favorite things on McDonald's. I have to check to see if they've changed it. But I remember when they started making. Uh, a big deal about like we have salads in the menu now for a healthier alternative and the salads are actually like worse for you than some of their sandwiches oh, yeah. and stuff they're like, well, had way more calories and always had solid breakfast too but so does mcdonald's so that is a weakness of mine is just fast food breakfast yeah. i fucking love fast food breakfast the problem is breakfast is just so good you can't fuck it up you just can't it's so delicious yeah i i, I, I agree i agree with you overall all right uh, Joe says they just want to hear why you hate him so much on Lin Manuel Miranda. Why I hate Lin Manuel Miranda so much? Yeah. Well, one, Hamilton is a whitewashing, you know, piece of shit musical that just is tries to, you know, it, uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of? It tries to launder the reputation of, um, you know, the slave owning genocide heirs that founded this country. Um, and his history uh, with Puerto Rico, where he paints himself as a, um, you know, uh, like being from the island, like he paints himself as a supporter of their rights and their welfare when he actually has worked behind the scenes to strengthen the United States' grip on the island and worked against independence. Uh, so he's a piece of shit. There's um uh, after the the recent hurricane, and they ba- they essentially set up like almost like a corporate board to run Puerto Rico, uh, and he was very much in support of it. Yeah, here it is: the Puerto Rico Oversight Management and Economic Stability Act, which was just a a uh, a means by which the United States could strengthen its hold on Puerto Rico and str- and like foster dependence of Puerto Rico on the United States. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. SS Squirrel asks, the jazz being sold to new ownership. Uh, so this happened, you know, a month, a month ago, month and a half ago. Uh, it was announced months ago. It just officially went, what happened, I think, six weeks ago or so. Um, so they got, um, they've been under the ownership of the Miller family. It was initially Greg Miller who died like five or six years ago, I think. Um, was it Greg? I think, it, no, it was Larry Miller. Greg is the son. Larry Miller. Um he had bought it in the eighties when it was kind of floundering. Like they almost might've had to leave Utah and they like eventually made it work. And so they're like the Millers own a ton of shit in Utah. Uh, they're, I think they're the, the wealthiest family in Utah. They're just really well known for some reason. People like they, they do some good things, but uh, you're just literally never going to convince me that billionaires are good people. Uh, it's, it's impossible. Um, you know, so the guy who bought it is also is a native Utahan who sold his company for like billions of dollars recently. Uh, he, he founded Qualtrics, which is like some company that helps businesses streamline their processes or whatever through like, you know, various technologies that they've developed. Um, so it's probably cool that the Jazz are going to get access to stuff like from Qualtrics, who they've partnered with for years anyway. Uh, but ultimately, like, I'm just not going to give much of a shit about which billionaire owns the franchise I root for. Like I, I root for a franchise because it makes following basket makes following the sport more fun, and I like the aspect of team building. But I really don't give a shit about the financials. Uh, outside of how it affects the salary cap and their ability to sign free agents, I want the team to spend as much goddamn money as possible because I want them to put a good product on the floor, and I'm not the one cutting the goddamn checks. So, 
you know, right now the Jazz are poised to be in the luxury tax this year uh, for the first time, I think, ever, which is kind of cool. So it looks like the new owner is going to spend a lot of money, and I like that. Um, that said, I think it will be very smart for them to they're just barely over the tax right now and in the they can get under it with some moves uh during the season and i think they will do that because they're pretty well set to be in the tax the next two years and every time every time you're in the tax for multiple years in a row there's a repeater tax you know it just keeps increasing like right now the the warriors are paying like 150 million dollars more than everyone else because they have a huge tax bill um is all the max contracts on their books. It's a really complicated system. I don't understand all the details, but I frankly just don't give a shit about what billionaire owns sports teams as long as they spend money and put a good product on the floor. Like I would hate rooting for like the Phoenix Suns with Robert Sarver or the the new uh, Rockets owner for Tita, who like I, I would like hate being a Marlins fan, right? Like I could never do that and watch them just fire sale the team every time they're good. Um, yeah, exactly. Like that, that would just drive me up a wall. I would stop rooting for the team. Uh, you know, Utah has, has always, you know, put a competitive or at least tried to put a competitive team on the floor. So yeah, but fr- frankly, don't give a shit about it. I'm going to jump a question real quick and then maybe come back to it. Cause Massimo also asked the contract of Rudy Gobert. So that's a Utah Jazz player. So yeah. So he got signed to a five year, $205 million extension. Um, yeah. He, so he, because of him winning defensive player of the year twice and being on all NBA teams, he was eligible for the Supermax, which is what Giannis got, uh, which would have been like five years, 240, I think, or maybe it was 228. I can't remember exactly, you know, and the regular max was five years, 190, which is what Anthony Davis got. You're only eligible for the Supermax if you're on the same team for long enough. So the, when AD got traded, he was ineligible for the Supermax. He had the, 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 the other credentials to do it. The the entire point of the Supermax is to try to uh, provide a mechanism for, um, you know, smaller teams to mar- keep homegrown. Yeah, talent. exactly. Yeah. Uh, particularly smaller market teams. It hasn't really worked that way because what it's generally done is given players who aren't worth that contract leverage to get it, um, and usually uh, it results in the team who who signed it having an albatross of a contract on their books. Uh, that's what happened with you know John Wall, but that's injury related. Uh, and Russell Westbrook, especially. Um, but uh, Gobert ended up signing for somewhere between the Max and Supermax, or at least a full Supermax. The The contract he signed is technically a Supermax because that means anything above the Max, but it's not a full Supermax. Uh, frankly, you know, obviously, like Rudy Gobert has a, is very underrated among gen- the general populace because he's a defensively oriented player and doesn't, you know, puts up, you know, 15 points a game instead of 25. But He's a top 15 player in the NBA. He's incredibly valuable, and he's worth a five-year, $205 million contract. And if you don't realize that, it's because you're a fucking idiot. So his contract is incredibly underrated, and there's a reason the Jazz have won eight goddamn games in a row. It's Rudy fucking Gobert. He only puts up 12 points a game, but he's literally the entire defense, and he's a fucking monster at it. He's far and away the best defensive player in the league. He's one of the best defensive players of the last 30 goddamn years. He's so good. And I can't wait to watch him again tonight. They're playing the Knicks at nine. Nice. All right. Leo, the magic man says the kinks, the kinks. I don't really have an opinion. The band? So. Yeah. Uh, they're, under, they're underrated. They're, they're, they were Probably. like really, really popular in their day. And they haven't like, they haven't retained, I think that same level of popularity outside of songs like Lola. Um, there's one other song that they're really well known for. I'm not hugely into them, but they are they're pretty good, and they probably should have stayed a little bit more popular. So I'm going to go slightly underrated. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, 
foiling out. Oh, this is from Brent Wagner. Foiling out a deck, uh, non-matching card arts. Uh, I hate uh, foil cards, so I'm never going to support it. I'm going to go overrated on both these. But if it's like your baby, and it's like your, you know, you have a an emotional attachment to the deck, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, like I can understand doing it for other people. I will say this: I do wish that I still owned copies of certain decks. You know, like still sleeved up like that deck, the deck I played for like that year. You know, kind of thing. The ones that I have like certain attachments to, but yeah. it's only a few things, and I still own a good bit of that stuff because I'm a hoarder. So. Uh, Joey asks, white border basics, uh, have we done that yet? Uh, we did white border cards. That was early on. I think she might, have me, she might have me confused, or this confused. She says, Tannen with his love of revised lands. I like beta lands. Maybe she thinks I'm Joe Lossett, who likes revised lands. But I mean, you talk, just talk, got done talking about nostalgia mm-hmm. for revised lands a little while yeah. ago. So, yeah. uh, Massimo says, Death Shadow. Um, it is properly rated. I'm going to go slightly underrated because it's so different than what we've ever done in Magic, and it was kind of like ground and theory breaking and being just something different that we had to do. And like, I I think it's slightly underrated because of that fact. Like, like you know, the coolness factor, the difference factor, et cetera, et cetera. I, w- I don't know if it's necessarily was theory breaking, but it definitely pushed these theories to the limits. It was like, how much yeah, okay. is an incredibly efficient threat worth? Is it worth dealing yourself 10 damage? And apparently the answer is yes. <laughs> the answer is an emphatic yes. Yeah. <laughs> so it just goes to show you how it, you know not particularly mm-hmm. valuable life is. Take that one uh, out of context, please. Yeah. So, uh, sir, NBA Papa Shot champion. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Leclerc. it's a yeah, it's Leclerc. It's a that's a mouthful. Just uh, he wants us to, to rate cheese. Overrated. I'm going to say underrated since I can't have it as much now, but uh, yeah, it's probably overrated a little bit just because like we should not be consuming as much dairy as we do, but cheese is fucking good. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm even going to, let's ignore the health aspect of things. I think people put too much cheese on a lot of things, in particular pizza. Like the, the whole thing about ex- like just stacking as much fucking cheese on a pizza, like that makes no sense to me. You want a good balance of ingredients. Um, my, my brother is a, a primary... Um, uh offender here he'll just like he, he puts way too much cheese on everything it's ridiculous uh but i don't like jim, you know, jim davis yeah any sort of like casserole on top of enchiladas like you want like the having the right amount of cheese is important and too much cheese is just it's not not good mm-hmm. uh saying rug rather than teamer bug rather than saltai etc um, etc at this point, I'm just conditioned to use the official language. I understand people are attached to those abbreviations. If you use them, I will understand what you mean. But I say teamer and I say Sultai. Mm-hmm. I say rug and bug most often. So uh, I don't know how to rate this in a way, but like just that's the answer. I normally say the the older way. Massimo says young pyromancer and legacy. I'm going to go with slightly underrated because of how important it was during its heyday when it was like really really good. And, you know, in the Delver decks and, so, and some of the other decks. Because, like, let's let's be real. That's where it really shined was in the Delver decks. Really, a de- any deck with Gitaxian Probe. Being able to play Pyromancer and immediately get the token on turn two. So I, I played the deck a lot. And I played it a lot during its hate, like, when it was the best deck, right? And so I think I'm pretty qualified to answer this question. I think it's slightly underrated because a lot of the other cards got more press, right? Like, oh, you get these really quick Gurmag Anglers. Or you get the Delver draws in the quote-unquote Delver deck. Right, we're not gonna about DRS because that's technically not a creature. I mean, that thing just did everything. You know, there's a reason. Yeah, it was, why a, plane, it was a one mana planeswalker. It's a planeswalker. So, but people didn't realize how important Young Pyromancer was in like so many matchups. The fact that 
one young Pyromancer could stand up to a Gurmag Angler or a Termagoy from your opponents very, very easily and beat it. Um, you sitting next to me, how many times have you seen me survive an Embercool hit? A lot of the times it's because of Young Pyromancer. You know, I sit there and start counting my, my permanents, and I'm like, okay, well, I'll have these two left over afterwards and get, get to continue to play the game, you know, things like that, et cetera, et cetera. And just so many games, you know, I won in the back of, like, how many times did you, like, remember how good Miracles was supposed to be good against me? And then, like, I just kept beating Miracles, and you, you know, you and I had a conversation with it once, and you were like, what is it that, you know, you do differently? I'm like, I think I, I leverage Young Pyromancer better than most people. You know, like, you know, you have to, like, balance your threats correctly i could just go for an hour i could probably write like a thesis paper on young pyromancer and legacy so i think slightly underrated young pyromancer also has a very handsome collection of tokens gotta yeah. give him credit for that it was fun to use the the ross merriam tokens while you're sitting next to me and shit <laughs> so that was a lot of fun i used to always like make some stupid jokes or something with it all the time so uh catatonic walrus says ham I think it's overrated the majority of the time. I do like it, you know, during the holidays or something every now and then, you know, a nice little honeyed ham and like making sandwiches with the leftovers is like very, very good. Obviously. Very overrated for me. Even on holidays, I was always adamantly against ham, you know, any sort of like a, like a good, uh, not, good roast or day. any sort of poultry I'm in for. I love, you know, duck, turkey, goose, anything like that. Turducken. <laughs> uh, I've had, I've had turducken. Um, yeah. It was delicious. And, uh, I'm but sure. ha- ham is like, you know, and for, I didn't like it for luncheon meats and that, in that realm, just no, no ham for me. So ham overrated, going ham underrated. Uh, Cathal along the same line says bacon. Bacon is obviously underrated. Even from Ross being a vegetarian can probably tell you bacon is no, amazing. Bacon is overrated. It's a worse breakfast meat than sausage. As far as, you know, on your, on your breakfast sandwich it's always not, has been. Not necessarily um, wrong. And the entire, uh, like hubbub about bacon that happened like 10 years ago was literally just orchestrated by the pork industry. So <laughs> it's literally just a lie to you that, like, bacon is this incredibly popular thing. That was literally a lie, that, like a, a, a viral thing that was spread just to sell more goddamn bacon. So fuck bacon. <laughs> There's been a few things like that. It's it's pretty much the entire breakfast industry and dairy industry, but... Oh, yeah, um, literally all of it. You know, like, it, mm. you, it's... Every, basically, every single food trend that happens has some sort of corporate origin where they're like, we're not selling enough of this shit. <laughs> it's that, or um, a lot of it came out of the depression too, to help farms stay in business and farmers not to go broke. And so you know about that, right? Yeah. Uh, if, if you're interested in what we're talking about now, I'm not going to go into it. If you're interested in what we're talking about now, look it up about like what the, uh, what the USA did to kind of keep farms and farmers in business during the great depression to make sure that we would actually have food in our country so a lot of stuff and a lot of the it still shapes our food in the last you know i don't know 80 something years 90 years and stuff like this. We're, st- we're starting to get away from a little bit of it but like it's actually pretty intriguing so if you have time go ahead and take a look in that um joey says a good solid backpack i'm gonna go with massively underrated um especially like from people who use backpacks a lot you know you think of you know magic players stuff but i got a travel backpack i don't know 10 15 years ago when i started like you know flying all over the world to play magic and traveling and stuff more and Besides, like, little parts of it getting beat up, obviously, the thing still works perfectly. I still use it all the time. It's even got a section for laptops and stuff in there. Um, I remember when I bought it, I was like, I can't believe I'm spending this much money on a backpack. And now I can't imagine not having one this good. Yeah. And, uh, you know, especially if you're, you know, using it frequently and carrying weight on your back, having one that, like, actually distributes the weight well is going to be important health-wise. I think it's something important I kind of want to talk about here. Like, um, I used to work... 
in uh, Best Buy, where, like a long time ago when I was in college, and I worked in the home theater department, right? And I mostly, I was like a TV guy, right? Like I sold TVs and stuff a lot. And there's a conversation I would have a lot of people when like, you know, they'd see two TVs and they'd be like, why would I want this one over this one? Because, you know, there'd be a price difference, obviously, right? And it'd be like, you know, a few hundred bucks or whatever. And I'm like, look, I'm not going to tell you how to spend your money, but here's the thing. How much do you use your television? They're like, you know, quite a bit. You know, we watch every day. You know, I like, I like watching this, like blah, blah, blah. We watch movies, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, how, you know, if it's a two or $300 difference, how much does that affect you over five years? over 10 years. It doesn't really affect you, right? So I've always said that the things that you use the most, right? Like, and I'm not saying to go out and buy super expensive stuff, but like cars, you know, backpacks, shoes, TVs, beds, right? Don't cut corners on that if you can afford it. Because it's something that you are using a lot. And like six months down the line, you're gonna be like, man, I wish I had $200 less in my bank account and this much better thing, you know? So don't cut corners there. Treat yourself, get, get yourself the good version of stuff when you're really going to use it. That's I, I skimp on other stuff, you know, to make sure. Uh, Sir NBA Papa Shot Champions back with first class on airplanes. I'm going to go with overrated in the fact that, like, you know, it's a lot more expensive for not a ton of perks. But anytime I've been upgraded to it for free, massively underrated, getting all the free shit is great. And getting treated like your royalty for some damn reason just because I have more money. It's it's really stupid, obviously. Yeah, but, fuck first class. Yeah. How about we just make people comfortable on airplanes? Yeah. Have you ever gotten a first class upgrade? Have you ever been a no. first class of an airplane? I I remember um, I had a really, I, I have got some crazy, crazy trip stories. But I, I can't remember exactly what trip it was because, you know, they all kind of blended in one where I had some crazy trip thing happen and there was a mess up on their end. And I made a very conscious effort to stay calm and normal in my conversation with the lady behind the desk, right? Trying to fix my stuff. And I don't know, I could kind of feel like it made an impression on her that I wasn't yelling, I wasn't angry, my voice stayed level. I was just like, you know, hey, what can we do about this? Can we fix this stuff? Blah, blah, blah. Because she's like, you know, there's no open seats on this plane, there's no open seats on this plane. And then she's like, you know what? I know how to fix this. And like, in about five seconds, she just, do, 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 you know, hits a bunch of buttons and then prints out a ticket. Hands me, I was like, I thought you said there was no seats. She's like, well, there were still the upgraded uh, first class seats available, which you don't normally just give away to people, but here you go. She's like, you're on first class now for this. And I was just like, blown away you're my favorite person ever thank you so yeah, much I, was like, I, I fucking love you i was like i love you like kind of thing i was like thank you so much but i think she can see like the genuine look on my face of like i i need this to be fixed kind of thing you know you can kind of tell stuff all right um kfet says a christmas story uh in parentheses while drinking bourbon barrel porter uh it's very specific uh a christmas story probably slightly overrated once you've you know gotten into it or whatever but it's it's it's, it's pretty good um, also b- bourbon barrel porter, very overrated barrel okay. age stuff is like the, the current trend in, in craft mm-hmm. beer. And I'm not a fan. If I wanted to drink bourbon, I would just drink bourbon. Mm-hmm. I don't want to drink bourbon. It sucks. All right. Boom, boom, zoom says TV, um, massively, massively overrated. And they're like, they just, uh, I, and uh, to be fair, like there are television shows that are excellent, but the concept of like having a TV and watching TV it's it's just awful. Hundred percent agree with you on that aspect. I think the um, the wasting time, filling time thing in almost every aspect is overrated, right? Obviously, there's something to be said about you've had a really rough day. You just want to come home, have a beer, and watch something, right? Like that's that's cathartic. It's good for you to have something like that. TV at, in general is bad for you. <laughs> like there's no other way to put it. Um, so like overrated. But television nowadays, like actual television shows, especially non cable shows 
are massively underrated, like especially the really good ones. They are exceptional works of storytelling and uh, just putting it together. Like I love a good TV show better more than most things. Like I think a good book is like the only thing that really entertains me more. Um, I love good television. I love to be able to, to binge watch it, but I do it in like my time when I have time set aside for that. I also do it while I'm doing something else a lot of times too. You know, like if I'm cooking, I have TV on or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Also getting to watch sporting events is pretty great. So for me, uh, overrated overall, but like there are the exceptions that I really, really like. Uh, Lunar Culture says Tron. I'm going to say the deck is underrated. The hate for it is massively overrated. Uh, the video game is great, so underrated. The video game, the arcade game version of it from like way back in the day was super great. And the movie, the movie is like, is like amazing looking, but maybe not. Yeah, I should have specified arcade game. It's, yeah, yeah. it's one of my go-tos now whenever we're at a barcade. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the one that I like, I, I think the last time I saw it was in the nineties in Disney world in Florida or whatever, Disneyland, whichever one it is. Uh, Joe says Christmas. This is around Christmas time. This got posted. Um, hmm. okay. I'm going to answer while you think I overall, my life has been a scourge. I've liked it more the last few years, but I'm still going to say overrated because I have, this deep-seated thing, and you, you could probably see this coming with me and Ross when it comes to this, with um, holidays that are kind of made by corporations to max out money. I don't love that idea. I don't love that whole thing. And I also am not a big fan of, like, I'm supposed to be nicer and do th- more things for the people I love during a specific week of the year, right? Like, the going home and seeing your family and being around, that's great if you like your family and have a good family, because some people don't. You know, so I don't want to, like, alienate those people because I'm one of those people. Like, I, I do not have a good family. I, I don't enjoy being around them if I can avoid it, et cetera, et cetera. We can, we're not going to get into that. That's my personal life. But, but you know, uh, you know, Natalie's family, I love them. Spending time in the holidays with them is actually super fun. And I look forward to it. You know, that kind of thing. So I'm going to go with overrated overall, but I am a scourge. So, um, You know, I'm going to say properly rated. I think most people recognize, like at this point, like the trappings of it, you know, the, the uh, hyper corporatization around it, the, you know, fact that some people feel pressured to spend time with people they don't want to spend time with. And I think we're getting to the point where like, we understand like, yeah, you, you shouldn't be forced to do these things, but having some time to spend with people that you do care about and, you know, uh, is nice and you shouldn't use it as an excuse to not, you know, um, do nice things, you know, uh, you know, to other people, right? Just because, like, you know, doing nice things at Christmas time doesn't absolve you from, like, from, like, being an asshole the rest of the year kind of thing. It's not Yom Kippur. You can't be nice for, like, one day and it wipes away your sins of yeah, the year. Not yeah, day, not a day of atonement. So, yeah. Um, there you go. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, personally, having, you know, grown up on a Christmas tree farm, Christmas has always been a very big thing in my family. So it was unfortunate not being able to go home this year. So honestly, I think it's the first time in my entire life I haven't spent Christmas with my immediate family, um, because I, I would always, I always went home in college too. Yeah, so um, you know, I, and so the, ultimately, like you know, the the problems with Christmas are just reflections of problems that exist in, in our society, and I'm not going to lay them at the their the feet of the holiday itself. You know, if we restructure society in a good way, then, you know, having holidays, uh, you know, will be fun. Maybe no, maybe they won't be, you know, 
overtly Christian holidays or whatever, or whatever this is, which is just like taking pagan holidays and putting a Christian veneer over them. Right. Um, you know, uh, so, you know, but, but it'll, you know, hopefully turn it into something better. But ultimately I, I like it. Anytime I get to be around people I love and have delicious food, I'm in. Oh, hundred percent agree with that. The, the food part. Also, I like the, the, you've heard me talk about this, the, the week of like the week before and through Christmas of like, you know, the 20th through like the third of January is this like magical time where <laughs> time and stuff does not exist. Like yes. the normal day does not exist. And I, lo- I like that a lot. Yes. Yeah, so your level uh, of responsibility goes way down. <laughs> drinking at 10 a.m. is completely reasonable and okay. But yeah, uh, it's like being right, so, in an uh, airport. <laughs> yeah. So uh, KFET says the keto diet. I have a hard time finding the correct way to answer this one when I think about it. Because I'm not a big fan of like fad diet type stuff because generally it's bad for you in some way. Right. Like it hurts you in some way. Like people, you need to do a lot of research on ketosis and like what it does to the human body and how you do it. Also, if I remember right, what the research that I've done on it is, this is not a diet that is supposed to be like a severe life change for an extended period of time. This is something you're supposed to like go in and out of a lot, et cetera. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a uh, personal trainer. Do your research before you do stuff. However, a physician. Physician, there you go. That's a good way to put it. However, if you need something, to push you into a healthier lifestyle, to help you lose weight, to motivate you into this kind of thing. If you need something to, to grasp onto, to, to, to find those results that you need to better your life, I'm all fucking for it. Like I, I, I love people. I love seeing people succeed in life in some way. Right. And in America, we've got a weight problem. You know, it's heart disease is like one of the number one killers in America, like behind cancer. Right. I think it's cancer. And then heart disease is heart, number one. Cancer. Heart disease, number one. And then cancer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then number three is actual just human error in hospitals. But um, we're not going to go into that. But uh, one and two are, are related in a lot of ways. So if if you need this kind of thing to help you with, with, with a problem in your life, right, I'm all for it. So uh, I don't have an answer for this because I'm not 100% sure. And I don't want to ever make someone feel bad for needing this kind of thing in their life. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to speak to keto specifically. I would much rather speak to a, a distaste for, tr- you know, people trying to spread medical knowledge in a, a colloquial setting, right? If you want to make a you know medical change yourself, you should consult a doctor, and uh, you know, actually get you know good information about it. I think most of our you know, popular understanding of nutrition science is pretty bad. I think via media, it gets influenced by corporate interests. The way, you know, like the reduced fat fad in the 80s and 90s happened when all of that did was pump extra sugar into foods uh, to make them taste good when you took out all of the fat. Um, and it, like it, it has created a, a demand for a uh, food system that is generally unnecessary. For the most part, I think the reason a lot of these fad diets end up working for people is when they go on them, it's the first time they're actually, you know, keeping track and being very cognizant of what they're putting in their bodies, as opposed to just kind of eating on on a whim. Um, and that that is the actual driver uh, towards, you know, um, whatever their, their goals are, as opposed to whatever specific methodology they're, they're following. Um, so ultimately, just consult a doctor before you do anything yeah and i was just about to say that when it comes to making a life change and something important like this and like there's nothing 
as important to you as your own personal health. Like you live in your body. Like it's, it's, it's a, you know, like your, your body is your temple. Like, you know, you can make fun of that in any way. It's an old sim, but that literally is it. And like, you should take care of yourself to, to the best that you can. When you're doing that, you should be consulting someone that has letters in front of their names and has done a bunch of researches of this and not so much concerning yourself with the opinions of people who are profiting off of your, your choice. Like go to someone who has just your well-being in mind. You know, do your own research, look through all of it. And this is not Ross and I ever saying anything bad about the keto diet. So um, anyway, next was uh, Unglued Lands from SS Squirrel. Um, I think Unglued Lands are a little underrated just because in the pantheon of full art lands, they're usually behind Unhinged, and I kind of like them more. That said, I'm generally anti-full art lands, but still mm-hmm. slightly underrated. So I'm going to go slightly underrated because these were like the OGs, right? Like these are the first ones of like the full art, completely different looking border, like breaking the aspect of this doesn't look like a magic card kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like it was the frame, everything, every part of it is different kind of thing. So um, I'm a big fan of them, even though I've never really played with these. Uh, I was more of like the next set and I've got a bunch of those. I think they're awesome. I think the art's great. I'm a big fan of like the island in particular and the mountain in particular. So definitely underrated. Massimo says dolphin. Just the word dolphin. So I don't know if it means dolphins like in general. I've, I've never eaten the... dolphin. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Brett Wagner says textless cards. Uh, I think massively overrated, especially some of the ones they chose. Like how the fuck do you make a textless cryptic command? Yeah, uh, you One know, I get it with, like, ever. Lightning Bolt, Wrath of God, cool. I also like player rewards. I wish they would come back. Um, so if you're talking about it on that aspect, maybe may underrated. But, yeah, they've got to be done well and hopefully non-foil. I hate foils, especially with the way they make foils nowadays. Let's let's not do that. Uh, this one might might be allocated for the amount of time that we have left. So you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. We're gonna we're gonna st- stop here because I wanted to bring up one more thing real quick um, because this one's probably gonna be a long question. So we'll start there or whatever. Um, I'm gonna send a link to you. Hopefully you can look at this link. Send it to you on Discord or whatever. But uh, the final balloting just came in for the Hall of Fame this year for baseball and. Not a surprise to me, but no one is voted in this year. Uh, you need 75% of the vote. The highest percentage was 71.1% by Kurt Schilling. Get and I'm very happy that he didn't make it in. And I don't think, and like, here's the thing. The way that trends work in, in voting and stuff, if you get 71% one year, you're probably going to make it the next year. Like enough people are going to be like, okay, I'll finally vote for you kind of thing, blah, blah, blah. There was a massive thing with him lately. I'm not going to get super into it, but the guy's just a giant piece of shit. Yeah, him just, just being a giant cockwomble. Was that the thing yeah. that was going on? Yeah. Well, there's also this. I've never heard of this happening before. But recently, the story got out that massive amounts of people, because they voted for this like months ago, you know, started hearing more about him, seeing more of the stuff that we're talking about. And then they saw his reaction to like the riots that happened in D.C. and stuff recently. They saw some of his posts and stuff. And they actually wrote into baseball. And was like, I would like to take back my vote from Kurt Schilling <laughs> on the Hall of Fame. I would like to have him off of my ballot. They Love said, it. this is not something that we can do. We don't want to set that kind of precedent or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But he didn't make it in this year. And I would not be surprised if he plummeted next year. Yeah, he's just a giant piece of shit. And it's really unfortunate because he's such a big part of the 2004 comeback story. Yeah. 
the the bloody sock is like one of the yeah. cooler stories of all time you know blah 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 uh barry bonds and roger clemens each both got 60 about 62 percent of the vote that's very high uh you know where they have been for like known cheaters you know like blah 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 this blah 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 that whatever they're they're known cheaters um and this is something you and i've talked about or whatever and i've talked about this extensively on on twitter stuff before the biggest one for me and I was super happy is that Andrew Jones got up to 33.9%. So he's up to 34% up from the year before, the year before, and the year before. And he's been making massive leaps every year. You get to stay for 10 years? Is that it? Yeah, it's that or um, you get you fall off if you don't get a certain percentage of the vote after a few years or whatever. Like, and if you're on the ballot and no one votes for you for a certain amount of years, I don't know every single rule. You just fall off the ballot. And then you, there's another committee later where you can come back, but... There's been a strong push for Andrew Jones to make the Hall of Fame, and in my mind, he is a Hall of Fame player. Yeah, he 100% deserves it. And the trajectory that you're seeing now over the last few years into this vote, I think he's going to get in in the next few years. Because if you look at some of the players where uh, in the past, you know, they didn't have a lot of votes, didn't have a lot of votes, and then like like Larry Walker comes to mind, a bunch of other people, then you also you see this like this this meteoric rise of votes over the last few years to get them into the Hall. Yeah, it's, it's not a linear progression. It's, you yeah, kind of get to an inflection point, and then you really, you know, rocket rocket ship to the moon. It, it comes from a people talking about it more. You know, they're like, "Oh, I'm seeing all these people vote for this guy. Like, why are you voting for him when I didn't even like consider it?" And you're like, "Well, here's here's a list of reasons why, right? Like, here's him compared to a bunch of other people who are in the Hall of Fame or people that you are voting for, et cetera, et cetera." And you know. Then he like passes all the other tests too. Like it's hard to vote for someone in the Hall of Fame that was like never the you know the best player in some way, right? You're like, oh, they were good for like ten or fifteen years, but they were just like never. Are you just going to really say, oh, he was just you know he had a longevity type thing? Um, Andrew Jones is still the best outfielder I have ever seen play the game of baseball. There was no one better defensively. Griffey, whatever, blah blah blah. I think he's the best of all time. No one, no one's close right now. I think he defined that position for a 10-year period, you know, that kind of thing. And you're starting to see the rise, and I'm, like, super excited to see. Obviously, there's a little bit of Homer involved. You know, he was, he was an Atlanta Brave for almost his entire career. Yeah, you're you always going to root for your guy. Always root for my guy. But it is nice to see this because, like, if you look on this list, you see Omar Vizquel at 49.1% of the vote, a guy that literally is only getting voted for because of defense, right? Like, because of defense. He's and like a career 260 hitter or something. He, he hit was, for zero okay. power. And he was not a good hitter. Like, I mean, like, obviously he was, he was fine enough. Great baseball player. Don't get me wrong. Great baseball player. You know, he had a couple, he had a couple years where he was a, he was a, he was above average hitter. And like, that is a very valuable player when you're that good defensively. And then like, oh, yeah. you know, he was fucked up defensively. Yeah. He was unreal good. Like he was, he was the guy, if you watched when you were a kid, you would see highlights of a guy, uh, a shortstop using his hands instead of the glove. You know, he's like bare hands. Off. That's Omar. Like he was like the big guy about that. A lot of people that are voting for him and have this, you know, thing like, oh, he's the best defensive guy I've seen, or he was like, you know, he's never there. You cannot vote for him and not vote for Andrew Jones. Because Andrew Jones, if you look at the advanced metrics, was just as good, if not better, defensively than him. Like, he saved more runs in his career, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you know, he uh, he's, like, higher on the list of, like, defensive versus. And he was a positive offensive force for most of his career. So it's one of those things It's like... Andrew Jones, had he had a 50 home run year, right? He did have a 50 home run year. He had the least productive 50 home run year ever in the history of baseball. Yeah, yeah. But yes. Because he had to get exactly 50, and then, like, you know, it was not very good outside of that. His <laughs> on-base was percentage like, was very low. He struck out a ton. It was it was a very Adam Dunn-esque season. Yeah, yeah. But he did it while also winning a gold glove and being, like, the best defensive yeah, player yeah. in the league. So, yeah, like... There's only, like, there's only so bad you could be when you hit 50 home runs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're still hitting the ball in the ballpark you know, more yeah, than everybody the, else. The floor is so. pretty high on that kind of season. But, yeah, this happened, like, this came up on Twitter, like, during us recording the show. And, like, you know, I've talked about it before. It wouldn't be the show without us tangenting at least once. Yeah. So I, I will say, 
I, I rather enjoy that it's so difficult to get into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Like, you know, it just, I, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of like that. It just makes it all the uh, cooler when people do get in. Yeah, I, and you know, it's it's a big deal, right? And there's like a big discourse going on on Twitter right now. They're like, we shouldn't let politics into this or whatever, blah, blah, blah. There's a bunch of racist people in the Hall of Fame. I'm like, yeah, but America is a lot different then. You know, we're starting to find out a lot more stuff nowadays. You know, you didn't have social media back then. You know, you didn't have Twitter back then. And we hold people to a higher, a higher standard now. Past mistakes do not absolve you of current mistakes. The people who say shit like that are the same people who are like against relieving the, the, the debt problem in America, like the student debt. Yeah. They're like, well, well, I suffered in college, so you should have to, too. And I'm like, that is the worst way <laughs> to look at this you yeah. know, kind of thing. Just because just just you had it rough, you should actually that, that's a better a better reason for you to be for it because you have seen firsthand the shit that it puts people in. I'm going to, I'm going to get, I'm trying not to get emotional and angry here because this is like a very big pet peeve of mine. If something was difficult for you and it hurt you and your family in some way, you should literally be doing everything within your power to make sure other people don't have the same problems that you do. You do. You should be doing everything you should do. You can do to make it better for your fellow man and woman, whatever, you know, it's just a saying, but just be good to other people. Be great, be awesome, and don't vote for Kurt Schilling. That's what I'm going to leave everybody with this week. Love it. Yeah. All right, we'll see you all next week, with uh, or later this week with a regular episode. Yeah, later this yeah. week with a regular episode. And then hopefully we'll be ca- we'll be caught up relatively soon on the over-underrated. We got through a pretty good chunk. Yeah. All right, y'all, thanks for listening. We'll see you all later this week. <laughs>